and welcome to another episode of A Lot to Process. I'm your host, Carrie Osi, and I'm here with my co-host, Brianne Young. Hi, Hi Carrie. It's great to be back here again. I know. It is so good to talk to you again. Um, as we promised, we are doing some inauguration coverage. We're doing a special inauguration day episode Bree and I kind of wanted to go back to and reflect on some of the conversations that we had a few weeks ago when we talked about political news. We did talk ahead of the January 6th insurrection about some concern. I think that I referred to a piece by David Ignatius in the Washington Post that presaged the violence. We were hearing a lot of people say that. And despite all of those warnings, there was not much preparation. And uh, it was a very scary day. I know that you and I were in close touch that day, weren't we, Brie? Yeah, absolutely. I I think it was it was hard not to be in touch with people you loved that day, because it was such a scary event. Um, I know I was texting my entire family and couldn't couldn't focus on my job, really couldn't focus on anything as soon as I was seeing what was happening on TV. It was um, it was frightening, to say the least. Yes. Yeah, it was. Yes. I knew that I, I had guessed that my father and my brother were probably at work and not seeing mm-hmm. it. So I alerted them to it. And yes, but our close-knit group was in close touch and sort of helping each other process it. My kids were here with me and I did get distracted from work and we just watched it unfold. I have to say that it was quite something. I looked away from the computer around the time that they were getting ready to have that long debate because of the objection to the Arizona electors. Mm -hmm. I think I jumped on a, interestingly, the call that I jumped on was with the Biden-Harris Inauguration Committee and AmeriCorps, the federal agency, to talk about King Day celebration protocols and opportunities. So it was a call that just a lot of of people in jobs like ours Mm -hmm. were listening to. But then I looked back at the computer and it was so strange. It looked like these were tourists. I, it was looked like it looked like they had decided to let tourists in because they were staying inside these these barriers. It was just it was surreal. And then and I watch all of this is a shout out for who I watch get my news from. I I watch the uh, live stream for the Washington Post, um, and their host is this really good journalist named Libby mm-hmm. Casey. And there's this moment, all of a sudden, it just escalated so quickly, Brie. I mean, right. Oh, that's, that was the weird part. It, you know, you're just, you're watching the debate and, you know, it's going to be a, t- a two hour debate and it's like, oh, okay, maybe I can, I know I thought maybe I can try to get, you know, some work done. This is going to be a long debate. And then you're just watching mm-hmm. it unfold. And surreal was exactly the word that I was going to use to carry. Um, it like, I didn't even comprehend what was happening at first. And then, you know, the, all you start hearing the, the anxiousness and the, the scariness and the reporters voices, cause they're on site trying to figure out what's going on, what's happening. Um, yeah, yeah I was home with my two sisters, which is unusual. And I think all of us were just glued to the TV in disbelief mm-hmm. at what was happening. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was. 
you know, at, at, there was this moment when uh, the this reporter Rhonda Colvin, she is one of the main video reporters for the Washington Post, who I, I'd seen, you know, an hour earlier with her mask on in the Capitol. She says, "I'm in an undisclosed location. I can't tell you where I am. I've been evacuated to this location, and I'm hearing what sounds like gunshots." Mm-hmm. And that like made me feel panic and I started to tear up and I thought, oh, you know, maybe I'm overreacting. But then Libby Casey, the anchor of the Washington Post uh, live stream cried too. And I was like, so reassured at least that somebody in that position of authority was as scared as I was weirdly reassured that we shouldn't feel safe. It was just good. Okay. We're we're like, oh, I'm not wrong to think this is Mm -hmm. crazy. And, uh, but yeah, we, uh, were hoping to talk about it on the podcast and now we are. Um, but the thing that we also really want to talk about and the reason we're doing this special episode is that in two short weeks, we have gotten to a place that feels very stable and hopeful. I woke up this morning. I don't think that I have ever, woken up and just said to my husband, today is the day we've been waiting for. I just, I just don't wake up right. and say, so I, I'm, I hardly talk about it at all. <laughs> and, you know, there've been so many special and important days in, in our lives, our national lives, our personal lives. I just, I never woke up because it's the, this is the date that's been on bumper stickers mm-hmm. and, you know, that we have been just holding our breath to see if some terrible, scary thing was going to somehow subvert this transition of power, which despite today being a beautiful day, we can't say was even a peaceful transition of power. No, not with the events that happened two weeks ago. And um, I told you ever since November 3rd, Carrie, that I was so reluctant to be hopeful that this day was actually going to come because it was just always in the back of my head that something was going to happen, that something unprecedented that I've never seen before was going to happen. It was going to take away the presidency. Um, Luckily, the events did not take away Joe Biden's presidency, but something unprecedented did happen. Um, But Mm -hmm. I am very happy that we can do this episode today on a very exciting topic, which is his inauguration. I agree. And so one of the things we were going to do is look back at inaugurations of yesteryear. (laughs) And um, so we could start, let's start in a place that's not as great. And let's go back four Mm -hmm. years. And maybe Brie, what are some things you remember about that time when Trump was inaugurated? Well, I'm actually going to start with probably about the month before Donald Trump was inaugurated because I was traveling out of country. So me and my sister were on a three week backpacking trip through Central America. Uh, Yeah. And I remember the, as Americans, whenever we met someone from another country, the focus was on Donald Trump and the possibility of his being president. It was all the talk. Are you really going to let him become president? Is this really going to happen? You guys aren't voting for him, are you? And of course, me and my sister were not voting for him. And we were um, 
probably naively hopeful that he was not going to be president. I don't think either of us really believed it was going to happen. Um, but it was. So this was this was before, this was before the, election. the election, right? This was. Yeah, sorry. Okay. Not a month yeah. before inauguration, before the election. Um, it was like the month of September and October. And it was just so interesting for me to hear all of the diverse perspectives. And this was I mean, it was couples and people from Australia, from England, from Spain, uh, from Germany, everyone that we had had talked to was just in disbelief that this could be happening in, in America right now. Um, and so it was, it was a little scary back then, but I think it wasn't fully, I didn't fully believe it. And then, you know, when he got elected, it obviously set in and it was, um, I don't know, again, kind of surreal that it had happened. And when he did get inaugurated, I, of course, was at, at work that day um, mm-hmm. in, in a workplace that I think probably we didn't really discuss discuss politics a lot. So it, I wasn't able to be as open about my feelings then as I would have been with coworkers now or with people now. Um, mm-hmm. But um, so I, I don't really remember much from that day other than how sad I was and how sad the people that I knew that voted the same way I did, how sad they were, but how we were hoping that Donald Trump was going to do a, a good job and do good things for yes. the country. I really was. I was hopeful for that. Yes. I was optimistic that that was going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I right. I, I think that many of us held out some small hope that this would be that somehow he would rise to mm-hmm. the office. Absolutely. Yes. I think we all tried to give him and, a chance. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes. You know, it's I do remember as, as you talk about this, it is jogging a couple of memories I have from that time. Uh, one was I was really debating whether or not to go to the Women's March because, you know, we live in the greater Maryland, mm-hmm. DC area. So I decided against it partly because uh, a few months earlier, I had very had a very severe leg injury and I w- had just stopped walking with a cane. So I did not feel <laughs> extremely <laughs> confident to go to an event like that. But my son went, my son was a college student. He went with some friends, had some great photos. So I felt that I participated by proxy. Did you, did you march at all? I did not know. And I know there were events all over the country, all over the world, uh, the day after the Mm -hmm. inauguration, that was a, a, that felt very hopeful that there was such a response that unlike the insurrection was just very peaceful, but just millions and millions and millions of people all over the world, it, it was a good Mm -hmm. response to what, what appeared to be the threat of encroaching authoritarianism in the United States. And I also remember the thing that really, uh, that sort of, I would say, had me feeling the most panic at that time was that I knew that the Muslim ban was coming. He did it almost immediately. And my biggest fear, Brie, was that he would immediately subvert the courts. I couldn't shake this feeling that he would do the Muslim ban the courts would say no, and he would do it anyway. And that just right out of the gate, we would be in this territory. 
it, that didn't happen. And I was so relieved that he fought the courts. In the end, we saw what the Trump administration's strategy was simply to to keep going back to the courts until they got the answer they wanted. And that's how they ended up getting their Muslim mm-hmm. ban. So it was uh, not as bad as I feared, but but still very, very scary. So before we talk about how that has been undone, though, I want to share my favorite inauguration oh, memory. I'm so excited to hear this. Yes, this this is uh, sort of my, you know, like one degree of separation from <laughs> Barack Obama's story. Fantastic. So, Oh, yeah. I mean, this is just this is a story I love to tell. So uh, some of our listeners who know me will have already heard it. But uh, but with Barack Obama, I'll go back to 2004. I was living overseas, but I came back to the United States uh, to spend some time in my hometown of Galesburg, Illinois. And uh, we got together during that time with some family friends, Mel and Joyce Siverly. And they, we were catching up and they told me that their son, Brian, who is, who is uh, kind of an age peer to me, that Brian was uh, working for this state senator who wanted to become, who was running for U.S. Senate. Mm-hmm. But the state senator, he was, it didn't even look like he was going to get the Democratic Party's nomination for the U.S. Senate, okay. you know, so it so, and they said, yeah, his name is Barack Obama. And I was like, that just doesn't sound, it, A, you're telling me that he's not even the party's pick to nominate to, to, for the Senate seat. And and that name just doesn't sound like the name of somebody that our country is going to vote for. And then really some remarkable things occurred that got him the nomination. And of course, he was became a senator. Of course, he gave this amazing speech at the 2004 Democratic National Convention, and that's when he became so famous. And, you know, his rise was so similar to Kamala Harris because just a freshman senator rising, you know, to the executive branch so quickly like this. But, um, but that was amazing to see. And, oh, and then, uh, yes, there, there's so many rabbit holes with this story that I will resist going down. So let's say, let's just go back, let's go forward to 2008, when he was elected, Mel and Joyce and their son, Brian, and their daughter, Carol, who are, you know, my generation and Mel and Joyce are my parents' generation, they wanted to go to the inauguration and we live close to Washington, D.C. here. So they said, could we stay at your house? And we were delighted to have them stay at our house. They all knew the Obamas. The Mel and Joyce lived down the street from my parents in Gillsburg. Barack Obama had been at their house. That's I mean, it's so just, wild. <laughs> so yeah. cool. and, and, you know, it is so cool. And part of it is that he was a state elected official. He was a state senator. So in that context, it wasn't, it was not that amazing for them to have interacted with him, but it's just, you know, they knew him when. And so they stayed at our house and uh, Mel and Brian attended one of the inaugural balls. So they all went to the inauguration. I didn't go, I had small children and Mm -hmm. stayed home, but uh, but they all went to the inauguration and then Carol and Joyce came back to her house. But uh, Mel and Brian went to what was called the home state spa, which was for 
Illinois and Hawaii. And that was very special. And uh, it was just really wonderful to have that connection to that inauguration. And everything felt so new and beautiful. And looking back, that was the start of a lot of the reaction to Obama's presidency in the coming year or so. The Tea Party movement came into being and it snowballed mm-hmm. into some of what led to to Donald Trump. Donald Trump became politically prominent by giving a platform to the birtherism, you know, conspiracy that that somehow Barack Obama was not born in the U.S., right. which is false. And uh, somehow that still catapulted him to the presidency. So it's been very sobering to see that uh, how that played out. It wasn't what we hoped for or expected, but I think we've seen, Brie, that in the broad sweep of our history, that has been the way things have gone. We've had some great advances and then there has been reaction and pushback and it's maybe a two steps forward, one Mm -hmm. step back. So hopefully we're stepping forward again. I hope So. so. And, you know, listening to, Joe Biden and Amy Klobuchar and all the other fabulous speakers that spoke at his inauguration today, it really seems like that's what they all want and what they are all aiming for as well. And it was so good just to hear all those messages of unity and coming together and progressing forward, even though we're at a very grave time in this country right now, not just because of the last four four years, but every, with the pandemic and everything else that we're facing so it was very uplifting, very optimistic, which is much different than the last four years that we've lived in in this country. For sure. You know, the the quote, the term that we took away from Trump's inaugural speech was American carnage. And that at a time, ironically, when the United States was in a pretty good position, it, it, there was no American carnage except what he and his his folks uh, sort of hallucinated. But, you know, this ironically is a time, like you say, where we've got so many challenges and yet it did feel so Mm -hmm. hopeful. It felt very much like a, like the moment when uh, Roosevelt, Franklin Delano Roosevelt became president. He took over from Herbert Hoover who had, you know, led the country into this terrible depression and, it's interesting. I was saying that to my husband. And then the next thing we heard is that in the Oval Office, uh, Joe Biden chose a huge portrait of Franklin Delano Roosevelt for, for his wall. They took down Andrew Jackson. I heard, I heard, I, I mean, it's been all over the news that, that they today basically fumigated the White House. Yeah. I heard that too, that they were so, concerned with how it was left for the Bidens and how um, I I believe the one part I heard was just they didn't know that it was safe to, to enter with um, not, um, I guess, respecting the, the COVID laws that were in place at the time. So very interesting here to hear all of that. Right. 
Right. I remember when uh, Kirsten Gillibrand was running for president and when she was asked what would she do on day one, she said, first of all, she would Clorox, Clorox <laughs> the Oval Office. And then that has literally right. happened, which is goodness me. But but yeah, it was it was just remarkable to see today. And Brie, I will say that the moment when I legit was weeping was when Kamala Harris was being sworn in mm-hmm. by Justice Sonia Sotomayor. It was such a profound thing to mm-hmm. see. Uh, we've just had, you know, this this woman finally getting one of these positions that a man that's always been filled right. by a man. Yeah, it was. I don't know. What oh, you- I mean, it, I had chills the whole time. Um, I'm not a happy crier, so I guess so I, I can't <laughs> say I was. I was crying, but I was more just in in chills and just so elated. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm hoping that everyone else that was watching it was realizing what a special and historic moment that this was. Um, even if they didn't vote for Joe Biden, it still a historic and important moment for women and women of color. So I hope that that's able to be recognized, um, you know, no matter who was voted for, just how important this is this time right now. Right. And as you say that, I think about the Republicans who participated today. One of them was Roy Blunt, Mm -hmm. who we know from our professional right. life is somebody who works across mm-hmm. the aisle, a big supporter of service and volunteerism. And um, he was, you know, played a big role today. Um, it, afterwards, I saw the presentation of gifts from the Senate and the House. I don't know. Were you watching that? I did not. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mitch McConnell spoke. Okay. And it's, it's just, it's there's sort of a cognitive dissonance there because Mitch, we know that Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden have had like a a legitimately close Mm -hmm. friendship and he spoke so warmly and sincerely. And yet we know that he didn't acknowledge Biden's win for like, I guess he acknowledged it on December 14th when the Electoral Mm -hmm. College met, but he was such a part of the right it took way too long for him to acknowledge it and it was um what seemed like a fight for him to do that which is not how it should have been for someone in his position right right and we know that there's a bit of a ding dong the witch is dead sort of feeling (laughs) among a lot of republicans a lot among a lot of elected republicans and and mitch mcconnell has barely concealed at all that that's kind of where he is with with that that he had a lot of anger towards trump Mm -hmm. and and so it's just my son and i were watching it today and and he said you know what will become of the republican party it's funny because my son and I were just cracking jokes the entire time. So, but then my son very seriously said, you know, what will happen to the Republican party? I had the exact same thought because out of, you know, at the, I was just, I was thinking the same thing today that it seems like if anything, Trump has actually divided the Republican party more. And it Mm -hmm. just see, it's like now they're at this point where they're talking about removing Republican lawmakers from their offices because they helped incite the insurrection and their words and what they said was 
incited violence. And it's just so interesting. And I don't think I expected um, the Republican Party to kind of now be at odds with each other and unhappy mm-hmm. with each other from from Trump's presidency. And I was I had that in the back of my mind the, the whole day today was like, what are some of these Republican senators and House members thinking as they're watching this? Are they still like angry at Joe Biden? And are they still, you know, going to support Trump and his policies? Or are they actually going to come together and fight for the democracy and for the people? And I think Right. I don't know. I just I feel like it's it's kind of a mess right now. That party. <laughs> that is it is. And you know, just before we started recording, I was listening to NPR and they were talking about the fact that Grover Cleveland and Teddy Roosevelt both came to power at a moment like this where they needed to heal and mm-hmm. unify. And Grover Cleveland failed and Teddy Roosevelt succeeded and his success had to do with his willingness to use the bully pulpit, um, which is interesting. In fact, I think he may have come up with that term, you know, just to use presidential power quite liberally in the term that I mean, you know, just with, with a, with a reckless Mm -hmm, abandon perhaps. And and I have been saying to my husband before that, I was speaking to the other president Roosevelt saying that the reason that I think FDR succeeded so much in carrying us out of the uh, Great Depression and you know making the New Deal work was that he expanded the presidential power beyond a level that I think perhaps our founders even wanted and may have been sowing the seeds of a of a Donald Trump situation, you know, our, our executive branch and our, and our president keeps getting more powerful. So it's, it is a moment of ambivalence, I would say right now, because I wish that we didn't have this outsized role for our president in the United States. I, I think it's too much, but at the same time, it feels like perhaps this is something that Biden needs to mm-hmm. embrace to bring us out of the pandemic and the economic crisis and uh, the, the just the many, many problems we find ourselves in. I will say I find him to be so uh, such a good example of statesmanship, though, in the sense that as he talked about these things, he wasn't casting blame. He wasn't saying I've inherited a mess or anything mm-hmm. like that. He was just saying you know, we find ourselves in this situation and we all need to, to unify and work together. And he said something about our whole soul. And I just thought yes. that was just one of my favorite lines, honestly, of his of his speech was that he was in it with his whole soul and we all needed to be in it with all of our souls. And I, I actually mm-hmm. I took a note about that during the speech because I, I thought that was so moving. Yeah. Right. Right. And one of our mutual friends, I think, may have mm-hmm. noted that in mm-hmm. a group text as well. And yeah, it, it's a it was a a beautiful sentiment, and you know, Bree, we were talking last time that you and I co-hosted about people who are very much in the sort of. Uh, mesmerized by disinformation about the results of the election Mm -hmm. and just many conspiracy theories. And 
you know, we will flash back to January 6th when we checked out the social media of a person who we know believes these things. And that's when we first saw that lie that had been promoted, has been Mm -hmm. promoted quite a bit, that the Capitol rioters were in fact leftists, so-called Antifa. Right, that they were pretending and dressing up as Trump supporters to make Trump supporters look bad. But really it was... Right, Democrats and and ugh, I couldn't believe it when I saw yeah, it. that it was. I I could. I was in shock, and obviously, um, I I texted Carrie and another coworker right away and said, yeah. "Can you believe this? Like what?" Um, yeah, I have I have such right. a hard time with the conspiracy theories and and, and people truly believing believing them. So, um, very disheartening right. to see. Yeah. It is. It is. And um, so what do you think, Bree? Do you think that with Trump being deplatformed and, you know, both he's lost the presidency, he's lost Twitter, um, mm-hmm. it, with, do you think that uh, people are going to come around? I I do. I, I mean, maybe I'm, again, naively optimistic, but um, I think just in the, the time span after the insurrection where Trump had lost control of his social media accounts, um, I had read a couple articles on the statistics about the mis and disinformation that was out there and how it had significantly decreased and how the, um, you know, those lies being spread on social media were, were trending downward because they didn't have someone there to start it. And so I think mm-hmm. um, I do believe that that Trump was and his social media accounts was a huge problem. And I think that the, that's where all of that stuff s- starts. So I can only hope that as Joe Biden starts his presidency, um, that he can give factual, insightful, real speeches and put out real information um, and that maybe some of this misinformation and disinformation will just will die down and won't be a thing anymore because they don't have someone starting it and putting it out there in the first place. Yeah. I, I think that is very, very likely that the numbers will mm-hmm. be reduced. And right. it's, the question is, like you said, they are. Right. It's are. not going to stop. Like I said, I'm sure there are still, um, Republican lawmakers, whether that's in the federal or state and local level, that will be um, that will be very critical of Joe Biden's presidency. Won't be and will be trying to start stuff. I guess is is the right term, but um, I don't know how far it'll go without the a leader of a country backing those claims mm-hmm. or starting those claims. Yeah. <laughs> right, and and you know, I, going back to maybe an unfinished thought, just about Mitch McConnell, it it will be very very interesting to see if there is any bipartisan efforts, mm-hmm. you know, in on Capitol Hill. I think that that the people who I listen to and trust are very very skeptical mm-hmm. about that. So, but I, but I also listen to and trust Joe Biden and he's not skeptical about it. So, you know, and it's, it is, it does put me, it does help me understand how Trump supporters Mm -hmm. listen to him. I'm listening to Joe Biden, you know, and if he says it, I will give that a lot of weight. So it's just a great point. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like a moment of self-awareness mm-hmm. and self-reflection that that uh, helps you sympathize with a lot of Trump supporters, you know, who understandably believed the president of the United States when he said things. Uh, it, it's, it's in some ways hard to understand, but also, you know, we hear them speak for themselves. I've heard a lot of Trump supporters uh, interviewed and they sound a lot like us. They're just saying the opposite. And so it's it's really a lot to, mm-hmm. to reflect on and, and process. Uh, so yeah, I, I think um, on to slightly less substantive, but still, I think, really cool topics. I loved what people were wearing today. Oh, yes. We have to talk about that. We have to. Yes. (laughs) Well, you know, and I have to say, like, Kamala Harris usually dresses in such a super professional way. She often wears these, you know, grays and blacks, and she just looks so Mm -hmm. formal and so businesslike. And I think she was wearing something kind of maroon when she gave her speech at the Democratic National Convention. Of course, she wore the suffragette mm-hmm. white. It's interesting, isn't it, how women, we look at what they wear. We just don't do that right. with men. Although I will stop to say, did you see Bernie Sanders? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. Uncle Bernie, just in his in his parka. I have a parka <laughs> like that. Just like You know my love for Bernie Sanders. <laughs> oh yeah. We, we we all love him. I, we're not gonna lie. And my son does a very good Bernie Sanders, and so oh, he was great. just uh yeah, just doing his Bernie Sanders invitation for me and making me really laugh. But but yeah, that was delightful. Most of the men, of course, had on these very long, formal, fancy mm-hmm. coats and all looked fabulous. But the color story that these women were telling, it was the most vivid color I've ever seen Kamala Harris wear. And it was just so declarative mm-hmm. and beautiful. Right. So, and, yeah, for our, if any of our listeners didn't happen to to watch the inauguration, um, Kamala Harris, Michelle Obama, Hillary Clinton, and I, I don't know if I'm missing any, Carrie, we're all in different shades of, of the purple color. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know... I, I I heard a couple different theories as to why they would be in purple. Um, you know, if you literally take red and blue and mix them together, it's purple. So purple is the showing of unity and the coming oh together. I, I actually think the one article I read was the designer of Hillary Clinton's outfit that said that, that it was the perfect wow. showing of unity is literally mixing all of these, mixing those two colors, putting them together. And then there was also the, the, the nod to the, the women's suffrage movement, which I think like the official colors are purple, white, and yellow, which mm-hmm. Kamala Harris um, was wearing in the debate, I believe it was. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so that was really, wow. I mean, I know you said we made to it not being substantive, but I actually read a lot of articles and there was a lot of posts about it and how important it was and what symbolism it it showed. So um, just interesting to analyze all all aspects of what we saw today. It is. And, And, you know, I think that we've seen this theme of women 
where signaling things with by wearing really bold mm-hmm. colors. I mean, Savannah Guthrie, when she did the town hall with Donald Trump, wore this just vivid pink suit, like mm-hmm. bright pink. It's the same yeah. color. Uh, uh, if you may have seen Muriel Bowser, mayor of uh, mm-hmm. D.C., Washington, D.C., uh, she was wearing a black coat, but she had on this, again, just, just like bright pink crocheted hat, which felt like a little bit of a call pa- callback to the Women's March. Oh, it was right. A okay. Shade. But it is interesting. I, I love that the purple signified that. Mm-hmm. Um, I Yes. And I loved uh, Nancy Pelosi's sort of ocean aquamarine which I felt was a kind of shade different from Jill, Dr. Mm-hmm. Jill Biden's. Um, it was it was interesting to see these monochromatic outfits and, and interesting because they did a split screen for a moment and they showed the Trumps landing in Florida and uh, Melania Trump had on this really patterned kind of sundress and it was just such a, such a, you know, contrast, different, such a right. contrast and, Anyways, and also they said no one was there to greet them in Florida, which, okay. Uh, you know, it was, it was interesting, but, but yes, it was uh, really just like, oh, and then the, the young national poet laureate. Oh, yes. Um, Amanda Gorman, Gorman, right. Was just yes. fantastic. Incredible. Um, I was yes. so moved by that. I think I went to all my social media platforms right away and reposted uh, that because I said, if there's one thing you need to watch, this is it because this is a, a young woman who um, just nailed everything that she yeah. said. That spoken word. Yes. Poem. It was, yeah, she, I, Ivan, my son had heard about mm-hmm. her and, and I think others had too. She was, uh, also wearing a really declarative color, a sort of a really yeah, vivid right. yellow. Um, there's just this sort of message like, uh, I am happy to be seen, you know, that the various women uh, were were putting out there. And it was it was really, really wonderful. And this comes back to the performers, um, the singers. My son and I were we're saying that probably, I don't know, do we call this a Q rating? I think that they were probably chosen also for their sort of their purpleness, right. you know, <laughs> like, you know, Lady Gaga is, of course, a really, really uh, active party sure. member mm-hmm. for the Democrat, you know, and I could see why she did that. I felt like she was doing a little bit of Frida Kahlo, like cosplay, like, you know, the, 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 you know, the Mexican mm-hmm. painter, mm-hmm. she, it was, but it was just, she was awesome. Um, Donna, our co-host uh, texted to me that she was just loving that skirt oh, so much. That. that just a, a giant pink mm-hmm. skirt. And then of course we had Jennifer Lopez in that suffragette mm-hmm. white. Um, and she sings some thing right. in Spanish. And I was telling my son, I don't know, are you familiar, Brie, like with the history of the song, This Land is is Your Land? It's a it's more like a socialist sort oh, of song. Oh, interesting. Okay. No, I'm not familiar with it's a, this. It's, 
it's something of an anthem of the American left. Okay. I mean, we sang it in school and we were not being, because the words are are not any kind of left-wing indoctrination, but uh, it was written by Woody Guthrie and the message was very much one of uh, shared uh, ownership of the American land and the American mm-hmm. idea. I really loved Harry and Jennifer Lopez right. saying that. And, and adding uh, the Spanish loved- at the end, I think was yes. important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Garth Brooks, you know, I thought, well, very smart, very smart to bring right. him in. Um, so this was, this was just honestly a delight mm-hmm. to watch. It uh, wasn't, it was moving, it was full, it was rich, um, and so remarkable to see. I, I didn't tune into every minute after that. I but didn't either. Tuned in here and there. Yeah, saw different bits right. and pieces of the limited parade and festivities that they could have, which wasn't much. But also, Doug Emhoff is mm-hmm. adorable. Yeah, my sister actually made a comment on how he just, you know, obviously don't know him, but he just seems like a great guy, doesn't he? Like just looking at him, looking at his actions, looking at how he has supported Kamala Harris through all this, like, I just, I want to know him. Yeah. And when they were walking to, I think the, where the building, this Eisenhower building where her office is, uh, they she stopped because she lost her earring on the street, and then he just like scrambles and finds it. Love it! Oh my gosh! Yes, my brother I think shared a tweet. This was back during the campaign of uh, with kind of with a gif of of Doug Emhoff doing something really dorky, and and it said, you know, Doug Emhoff breaking the glass ceiling for awkward Jewish husbands. <laughs> So yeah, he's a he's a fascinating part of this. Um, I read somewhere that his the mother he, this his children were there with them, which I saw that his son looks exactly like him, uh, Kamala Harris's mm-hmm. stepchildren. And I read that Kamala Harris and their mother, his ex, are like really yeah, good. I've friends, read that as which, well. Just right. awesome. Just so much warming of the heart after months mm-hmm. of dread, years of dread in some respect. It's it's hard to feel totally safe because we know there's there are always other shoes that could drop, but yeah, for sure and um you know one of the things I did watch when uh Joe Biden and and Jill Biden and I think the majority of his family got out of their car and walked down the streets, which I I, I had heard that they weren't expecting or they didn't know if that was going to happen because of the security issues. Um, and I, I remember watching it and being kind of on edge, like, oh, my gosh, is this the safe thing to do? Should they be doing this right now? Um, but everything went fine. And it was, you know, fantastic again to see that. And um, I just hope that that was a symbolism of how it goes moving forward, that we can put hopefully a lot of these security, domestic security issues behind us. I think so. Yeah. And I certainly know that when in 2008, that was a really a moment when when the Obamas got out of the car and walked down the street, 
it was a moment when there was a collective sort of holding mm-hmm. of the breath, you know, there was this feeling that of mm-hmm. danger that uh, we just are always aware that there is that element in our world. Of course, we just celebrated the birthday of Martin Luther King Jr. And we know that that he died mm-hmm. by that right. element, uh, you know, as many of our great leaders. But, but you know, that seems to be at bay. I'd say one of the other things that made me feel emotional today was seeing um, the National Guard that they, mm-hmm. when they would pan to them during this during the ceremony itself, and they were participating in the ceremony. You know, they were putting their heads down for the for the uh, benediction, and and uh, it was really emotional. Just they just feel like such a uh, bulwark against you know, the right. The and kind of related to that, I, one of the things that made me emotional was the Capitol police officer, Eugene Goodman, when he escorted Kamala Harris, um, you know, he was the, the Capitol police officer that really saved a, the, the Senate members and house members in, in that chamber by diverting the, the crowd of rioters away from, from the chamber where they were all hiding and trying to get out of um, and seeing him there. And, and I heard that he had received a promotion and it was just, it was all very heart heartwarming. It made me feel, it made me feel great. Right. Yeah. On a day of so many feel goods, that was, that was just another, I agree. Yeah. He is now the acne acting Deputy Sergeant at Arms of the Yes, Senate. I believe so. I think that's correct. That's just mm-hmm. so good. Yes, I, if anybody has not seen the video of him just d- doing these brilliant exactly. tactics, I, I, I've many people have said this. It's it's like a zombie horde. It's like the movie World War Z. You know, it, it, just these folks who were, you know, in the Capitol, just committing these violent acts and for him to put himself in that spot and to be such a professional and do these things that he was trained to do. We are so lucky to have had him in that position. Yeah. Oh, goodness. So Brie, um, any, any additional thoughts? Um, I mean, I'm, Again, very uplifting, very positive day. Uh, Do we want to talk about how Joe Biden got to work right away today? He's already signed 17, I think it's 17, or at least it was 17 the last time I checked, executive orders. Um, And that has me feeling also very good that some of Trump's policies are overturned within hours of him leaving office. So um, that gives me a lot of hope, too. Yes. What what were some of the executive orders? Um, so the the as you had mentioned earlier, Trump did a a travel ban on Muslims, which was uh, reversed. One of the first ones that Joe Biden reversed. He stopped construction on the border wall um, that Trump had started. Um, I know he obviously has intentions to get us back into the uh, Paris Agreement. I was, I don't know. Was that one of the ones, was that an executive order today? Do you know? Okay. Yes, it was. Um, do you know? 
a mask mandate. Oh, right. Yeah, a federal mask mandate and encouraging um, Americans to mask up for the first 100 days of his presidency, which I believe we had mentioned in our last episode that we had predicted that he was going to do. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so all very exciting. All very exciting steps forward, as he promised. Yes, yes. And and I did see him, a bit of him signing those. And I did hear him say, you know, these are limited. We do want legislative mm-hmm. action. I thought that was a good thing to say that he doesn't want to rule by fiat or executive order, but it is good to see normalcy uh, returned to you know, to, uh, the United States returned to this normal place. And it's it's interesting to see him come in just as Angela Merkel is leaving her role, you know, it, it, not a moment too soon, you know, while over the last four years, she sort of hold, held this held space for democracy. She was our leader um, globally and uh, the U.S., can come back to a place of global leadership in so many issues, the climate crisis being, being a big one. So that was very, very exciting to mm-hmm. see. So, and it was, and it, and also uh, Kamala Harris got right to work. She swore in uh, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock and her uh, successor Um and it, that was just mm-hmm. remarkable. Yeah. Biggest smile on my face right now, even though no one can see it. Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> uh, thinking about the Georgia runoffs and those those gentlemen, you know, winning and just the the idea of the pastor. I was talking to Donna about this when we uh, recorded last week. You know, just the idea of the pastor of Dr. King's Church becoming a senator from Georgia. Um, and just all of the uh, meaning of that, and a, and then a Jewish gentleman also taking uh, mm-hmm. a Senate seat. It's 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 really it's exciting. Um, it's another sign of hope, and uh, yeah, I think that we have good things ahead. I agree. Um, obviously, we come from a specific perspective, mm-hmm. but we want our country to succeed. We do want that unity. And today felt like a really hopeful moment Absolutely, and a great, yeah. great chapter. Well, thank you, Bree. Of course. Thanks for having me again. And I hope we can continue to do um, episodes that reflect on the presidency and how, how it's going as we continue. Absolutely. This is too fun to not do quite <laughs> often. So yes, yeah, stay tuned. So thank you, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you will subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. You can reach us at altppodcast at gmail.com. That's altppodcast at gmail.com. As ever, it's a lot to process, but not too much, thanks to our creative team, which includes Donna Anderson, Joanna Chen, Sharon Lewis, Alex Sievers, and Brianne Young. I'm Carrie Osi, and I'll see you next week when there will be, no doubt, a lot to process.